Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist Dr. Sean Castile and Extension Corn Specialist Dr. Dan Quinn. On this episode number 25, we'll talk about some issues like fertilizer, but of course, yield updates too. It's kind of a mixed bag where yields are. We're hearing reports of, you know, this is probably the best corn we've ever had. Also hearing, again, some of those same reports of, you know, just not as good as what we hoped it was going to be. We got a third of our, our beans out right now, so to say we've got 60 bushels at the state level, a prize fair, uh, but we still have a lot of beans to get out to see where that final number is going to be. Now on Purdue Crop Chat, here's your host, who's your Ag Today's, Eric Pfeiffer. USDA is still projecting record corn and soybean yields here in Indiana. And to chat about it and other things, we've got uh, the experts. Purdue Extension Corn Specialist Dan Quinn is here. Hello, Dan. Hey, Eric. And Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist Sean Castile is here. Hey, Sean. Howdy, Eric. So uh, we're like approaching halfway through harvest here, and a lot of folks are in the fields and getting some of these early numbers. And I think for the most part... They're pretty pleased around Indiana. Uh, again, that is for the most part. I know that it varies from place to place, but for the most part, people are pretty happy. Let's start with this corn crop, Dan, yeah. because we've been talking about it all year. Uh, folks talking about this being perhaps the best corn crop they've ever raised. I'm still hearing that. What are you hearing throughout the state? Well, I think, you know, you look at the USDA numbers, they dropped it a little bit. So from 197 to 194 bushels per acre, but... You know, 194 is still state record yield. Um, I think from what I'm seeing and some of the trials that we've harvested so far this year is it's kind of a mixed bag, uh, depending on where you are. Um, So we've had trials, you know, southwest Indiana has had really good yields. Um, One of our trials down that way yielded the higher, you know, the highest it's ever had um, in that area. But, you know, different areas in the state, too, Depending on what kind of disease you had, you know, tar spot in the northern part of the state or even some of the drought conditions we've had in the southeastern part of the state, you know, yields just weren't as good as what we'd hoped. Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag where yields are. We're hearing reports of, you know, this is probably the best corn we've ever had. But also hearing, again, some of those same reports of, you know, just not as good as what we'd hoped it was going to be. Now, the, the big question this year has been about tar spot and how it's impacting yields. And, and really, there's... There's no good way to, to quantify that because tar spot is is just kind of in every field. Yeah. But I'm hearing that it came in pretty late for a lot of folks, which didn't really impact yield too much. Are you hearing that as well? Yeah, it came in, you know, pretty late for folks. And then I think, you know, a lot of farmers, too, managed it pretty well. Um, you're hearing different reports. And I know Darcy, when we kind of see her results from this year as well, um, based on when you're able to time that fungicide and also hearing reports on, you know, hybrids, you know, so different hybrids have responded, you know, either really well or poorly to tar spot. Um, so this year is just going to be a, a big note taking year and, uh, analyzing the data this year so we can keep moving forward and hopefully help manage that disease. But, you know, they found it all in, but around 10 counties in the state of Indiana. So it's, it's prevalent across the entire part of the state. Um, uh, but again, that Northern part of the state, you know, there's just some fields that got hit really hard, and it depends on, you know, when you're able to get that fungicide out and get that timed well to hopefully help that yield in those areas. 
And and the way that it was explained to me, tar spot is kind of like you know it, it's it's your immune system. It, it doesn't necessarily impact yield all on its own, mm-hmm. but it it makes it to where other things can start happening to it. So we're mm-hmm. seeing maybe some stock rot issues with that. Yeah. Is that what you're seeing as yeah, well? Yeah, I think you know in the severe tar spot fields, basically when that corn plant you know shuts down from tar spot, when that tar spot basically takes over that corn plant and um, basically that photosynthetic photosynthetic area or that leaf area that plant is gone that corn plant again is doing everything in its power to fill that ear and fill that grain so where is it going to start pulling you know resources from for the most part that lower portion of that stock so some severe areas where tar spot got really bad in certain areas that's where they're having some of that that stock rot issues or poor stock quality issues because that plant's trying to compensate for that lost leaf area. So I've heard some reports, but mostly in those really severe areas in that northern part of the state. And that windstorm that came through earlier this (laughs) week was not a help for those folks. Correctly. Um, I've heard of a couple reports of, you know, fields that got hit pretty hard from that windstorm that came through and got flattened. um, But I don't think it's too widespread across the state. Let's chat about soybeans here, Sean. I think, uh, you know, from what I'm hearing, and you tell me what you're hearing, southern Indiana, they're pretty pres- uh, pleasantly surprised. You know, you've you've been a little down on this soybean crop this year. I have, and and, and it really hasn't changed. I mean, I still think, you know, 60 bushels, what we've been forecasted since August, that's the still forecast that just came out. Um, I've harvested a number of trials. I've heard some uh, reports in the southern area, and there have been some tremendous yields in portions of the fields or all of the fields, but then also in the same fields that they haven't been as, as good. So, you know, I, I say we got a third of our, our beans out right now. So to say we got 60 bushels at the state level, a prize fair, uh, but we still have a lot of beans to get out to see where that final number is going to be. Um, these fields, when we talk about good yielding fields, I mean, Field averages are 70, 75 bushel in many cases. And there's spots, I was two weeks ago, <laughs> last time we actually harvested, um, the only time that we've harvested, it seems like, is September. I don't, know if I've, I don't know if I've actually harvested anything in October yet, but um, maybe once. Uh, but with that, I had a field that high spots where we think about how much rain we had mid-June to mid-July, the high spots, better drain spots, we ran 85, 90 bushel beans with yield monitor across the field. In that same field that had... The spatial variability had the low-lying areas. Um, they weren't ponded, but they were. They had wet feet. Uh, were more like the 45 to 50 bushel range. So you, that's that's quite a range. And so depending on okay, what kind of tile drainage did we have on these fields with the rains that had come through in a large portion of this season, they could probably do okay. Uh, if they just have natural topography that it rolls, and so the higher ground is doing a little bit better. So. Uh, again, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised for those that have already harvested. I'm still very cautious on what the final number is going to be. Yeah. And we talked about southern, or southern, uh, southwest Indiana specifically. You know, you talked about your trials down there with corn, Dan, but I'm hearing great things about soybeans down there. Are, are you hearing specific? I mean, that was kind of a yep. bit of a garden spot this yeah, year. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. I, we certainly have spots or f- fields that are on sunny, north of 75 bushel in, in that part of the state, and so tremendous. Um, one of the things that, that is coming up with the harvest across the state uh, we, we'd still have green stem to deal with. We have hanging leaves. So, you know, that's something that we see across the state and we need to be mindful of. A lot of cases, um, 
you can look at the screen stem in, in two or three areas. So usually you've got too much uh, photosynthates out there. And what that means is you've harvested all the sunlight. Now you got to put it somewhere and then something happens to your pod load, right? And so on the negative side is, okay, we turned off dry and so we started losing pods or we've got an insect that comes in, bean leaf beetle starts feeding on it or we have a, some stink bug that, that causes some of those pods to drop. And so now the yield isn't quite as high. That's one scenario. This is kind of a supply and demand type, right? We, we've got plenty of supply of plant sugars, but not the demand from the pods. Another case is where we can still have green stems and nothing's occurred in terms of pod loss. We just, the beans are that good. And in other words, they've harvested the sunlight, created all this plant sugars, the supply is huge, the demand is huge. And then once it's finished filling, there's nothing else to maintain but the stem. So a lot of the cases, these 75, 80, 85 bushel fields can probably still have green stems because they have fully realized their pod potential and seed potential. So just because we have green stems in our fields doesn't mean that they're always going to be a low yielding or always going to be high yielding. There's two scenarios that paint that picture. And the, the other thing that's come out this year, we've got a lot of fields that have the green stems plus the, the leaves hanging on. So these green just, you know, leaves are holding on like a flag that's just barely on a flagpole. And I think part of that issue is more so on, okay, the poor pod load and maybe some later rains that kept that plant alive, right? We haven't had any freeze for certain. We haven't had any dry conditions to cause the plants to truly shut down. And so those late rains have, have allowed these leaves to hang on. And so they're unsightly and they're frustrating to harvest through. So that's what's coming on some of these fields. Now we've talked about green stem. We've talked about tar spot and some of the standability issues with corn uh when sean walked in here i said hey what do you want to talk about and he said why aren't the beans out of the field and <laughs> with some of these standability issues i'm hearing agronomists tell their customers hey you got to get aggressive with corn harvest so i'm gonna let the two of you fight it out here soybeans where, where should get we, out where soybeans should we be focusing right now <laughs> hit it dan yeah i think you know usually soybeans you know you think about breaking open the pods and having issues from that standpoint i think for the most part, usually soybeans, you know, corn can handle it if it's it's more delayed harvest. I think soybeans, you know, if that's one crop you had to get on top of getting out of the field is more important at this point. But it's still important to understand that, you know, as that corn stays out in that field, it, it loses that quality of that plant and it loses that quality of that stock over time. So you do run the risk of that plant falling over. And you do run the risk, you know, of having more harvest issues, whether it be kernel shattering or, or eardrop, premature eardrop happening, and just run into issues if you delay that harvest. Um, but I do think, you know, soybeans are kind of the crop, getting that out of there uh, before corn. Corn can kind of um, stand a little bit better um, as we get into delayed harvest. So you're saying that soybeans are a priority. The no. corn agronomist <laughs> says soybeans are a priority. All right, I've done my job. I took 10 years to get someone to say that. No, uh, but but with that, Dan, I think comments that we always make is to take notes, field observations. And yeah. so on, I'll give a, a little, I'll throw you a bone here yeah. on the corn side, is that, okay, you've taken notes on your corn fields that have mm. had issues. And yeah. so those should probably certainly be the ones that you go back to whenever like, okay, yeah. they've been out in the field for a while. You can probably anticipate which fields are going to be the ones that might have some stock integrity issues, right? Yeah. So whether it's a stock rot or just straight cannibalizing those stock. So I think that that's something that certainly the growers can look at. Like, these are my priorities. 
Um, on the soybean side, I mean, nothing's more frustrating whenever you get five days beautiful weather in September and you haven't had a lick of a good day in October to harvest. And so now we get in these wet cycles and we start mm -hmm. to dry out. This is going to become an issue on the soybeans in terms of um, we get in wet, dry cycles. So it can be rain, it can be heavy dews. And then these pods are going to start opening up on their own yeah. and, and shelling out before you even get in the field. So um, in both cases, it's about getting the crop out. A down corn plant, okay, you might be able to get up, but if it's completely snapped off, those rollers mm. and everything else, to, uh, uh, you know, rakes and everything else to pick them up, it's not going to happen. Uh, same way, you're not picking up beans that are on the ground if they've already shattered. So we okay. do have to be on that, especially if we get these fields that are in this wet, dry cycle. My goodness, yesterday, I mean, we've had rain off and on, no doubt, but I mean, the heavy dew we had yesterday alone, I don't know if it burned off by three o'clock and then that's when the rain came in, right? Yeah. So um, that's something we've got to be mindful of whenever things open up that we got to get those beans out before yeah. they start shattering, before you even get the combine in the field. <laughs> yeah. I say that lightly that we have. Oh, look at that. He's, he's backpacking. He's backpedaling here. <laughs> Need to get both crops out of the ground. Oh, my yeah. goodness. So we've already talked about, but. you know, both crops having their own planter. You're saying both crops need to have their own combine. He's trying to take money from you. This is the corn agronomist here. No, I mean, there is a priority of getting the crop yeah. out. And you haven't made anything till it's out of the field. My dad would yeah. always say, hey, that's a great looking crop, but it doesn't mean anything till it's in the bin. Yeah, correct. Yeah. It can't fall down if it's in the bin, you know. Yes. Yeah just the way that it works. You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat with Sean Castile, Dan Quinn, and your host, Eric Pfeiffer. Let's talk about some other issues that have popped up here. Um, you know, some of the hot news here, Dan, has been around fertilizer and fertilizer prices, the supply chain for fertilizer. It's starting to get a little out of hand, and yeah. uh, farmers are trying to budget for this and are having a hard time doing it. What are you hearing? Um, yeah, that's we're kind of trying to track right now what the prices are, and they keep increasing, it seems, by the day. Um, so it's something to be concerned of and something to be aware of, um, especially if you're a farmer moving into next year. Um, you know, P and K, you know, phosphorus and potassium and, you know, nitrogen prices too. I'm hearing reports of guys that maybe what they budgeted, you know, in the years before, it's maybe double what it was going to be next year. And then supply too. So whether or not your local co-op or your dealer in town has any as well. So I think it's going to be important to really understand, you know, what's available. You know, maybe we need to change how we put fertilizer down. I'm hearing reports of guys maybe going back to anhydrous. I'm hearing anhydrous maybe supplies a little bit better than maybe UAN or 28% moving into next year. So you might see some more anhydrous go out this fall. Um, so being aware of, you know, if you haven't done it in a long time, you know, reading some of the articles we'll put out and some of the information we have and you know maybe trying to be a little bit more efficient in how you put your fertilizer down and maybe this is the year you don't do some of the you know big bulk either p or k applications and maybe being a little more efficient in how you put those nutrients down well i think this is also a case where we go back and we take data we take samples all the time mm -hmm. And to have a historical look and so that, you know, have these fields, uh, you've had soil samples every three years, some people every two or four, just to have the track record, okay, is it trending up, down, or kind of middle yeah. of the road? And then are those in particular, I'm not talking nitrogen, I'm talking phosphorus, potassium, and pH and all, but are those places where, okay, we can maintain, we can hold yeah. off, and we got levels high enough that we can get yeah. by, right? And we've had the, in years past that the falls were just cruddy. We couldn't get out there to, 
to harvest, let alone think about any tillage or soil sampling or, or fertilizer applications. And so, okay, let's just let it go. We don't want to track things up. We may be in that case again. So uh, I think that people need to take a look at what their past has been, especially if they've had those past where they have skipped. Okay. Yeah. What have I taken a soil sample since that time, or yeah. have I been able to get my my normal annual or biannual applications out so we can make this call with the prices that are in this this ballpark right yeah, now? Yeah, and I think you know one thing that might come into play too, with, especially with phosphorus, is you know starter fertilizer applications. You know, you might be a little be able to put some you know a ten thirty four zero application or a phosphorus starter fertilizer application in the spring that maybe can help you get through this year so you're not putting out you know a bulk map application in the fall or spring and maybe just being a little more efficient in how we put the fertilizer down to kind of get us through this time period where these supply issues have kind of screwed things up and mm -hmm. prices have skyrocketed so and, and right now you know folks are looking at this and trying to figure out what to do mm -hmm. and we're also experiencing pretty high yields which yeah. is it's taking some nutrients out of the ground. I mean, it needs to be a priority still, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you look at nutrient removal, it's probably going to be pretty high in some of these areas where we had these pretty high yields. Um, so it, again, referring to what Sean talked about, you know, looking at your data, taking your soil tests, mm -hmm. looking at those removal rates and what your yields were and just trying to get a plan together. I think it's what we're really trying to tell folks is just get a plan together and be aware that, you know, fertilizer could be tough to come by or it could be really expensive next spring. So getting a plan together, understanding what your removal rates were, your yields, your soil test values, what's available, what's not, what's the prices, and trying to get a plan for next year so you can be as efficient as possible and then not overpay, you know, or lose some money on some of these fields. But uh, I want to underpin what, what Eric said, too, that nutrients are foundational for high yielding beans and yeah. foundational for high yielding corn so i mean if we're on that edge um, yeah. yeah it's pricey but you still need yeah. to have it i mean you can save the money if you don't apply it but if you're on the edge you're yeah. going to lose out in most cases or the probability of losing out on yield is going to be higher and so it's the idea of okay i got to do an oil change every <laughs> three thousand miles or if i've got the good stuff it's yeah. every seven to ten thousand but boy if you keep on going you're going to burn it up and you're not yeah. going to be quite as efficient or mm -hmm. productive so we yeah. we have to be on that and, edge and especially the nutrients you know nitrogen you know phosphorus and potash that are probably the most important yep you know and making sure you maintain those levels in the fields are, is still important um, i think it's just maybe we have to get a little more creative or more efficient how we get those nutrients out but you know referring to what sean said don't think skimping out on them next year will help you it could potentially hurt you a lot more are we hearing the same thing with herbicides mm -hmm. the supply issue dan yeah, I've heard issues too with herbicides, both price and supply. I think it's just, you know, you look at items, everything, everything mm -hmm. we buy at this time right now, they're even worried about stuff for Christmas this year. It's just the supply chains have gotten screwed up along the way with this pandemic and stuff. And herbicides too, hearing those issues. So you might see a lot more tillage this year. You might see more cover crop use maybe. Um, again, it's just trying to find different ways to combat, you know, weeds moving forward without having to rely on some of those herbicides and, you know, spending the high amount of money. But, you know, two, like nutrients, a good pre-emergent herbicide application is so important, especially with the resistant weed issues we have. You still need to get make sure those products are getting out. Um, but again, I think this year we might see different you know, creativity or different things that maybe farmers haven't done in a long time, whether it be tillage or cover crop use to 
potentially help them if there is supply issues and some of the high prices? I, th I think the, the thing that comes to my mind in all of this is, all right, here's our normal mode of operation. We do a mm -hmm. soil sample, and then we put out the nutrients based on that. Here's my typical herbicide program. This is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. That is just not going to be the case in every field. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, here's my plan A and yeah. price out plan A, but we're going to have to have plan B and plan C to say, okay, where does this actually go? Um, some of the supply, you can't, you, there's no guarantees right now, right? Yeah. I mean, th that's for one. For two is the price, you can't even try to budget that because they're not giving you a, a spring yeah. price, right? So you've got to go through and have those sit downs. It's been rainy days. Guess what? Let's go talk with our ag retailer mm -hmm. and say, okay, what are we at price-wise or what are the options we're thinking about right now so then we can plan whether we're going to go do some nutrient applications now. We'll switch it up before um, the fall gets really nasty to winter and field conditions aren't fit to get heavy equipment out there and we're mm -hmm. going to do it in and but we need to make sure soil temperatures are right. Plus, let's put yeah. an inhibitor out there. Again, these are yeah. new things. Or yeah. to have someone custom do that too, right? Yeah, and I think it's just getting a plan, you know, being aware that these supply issues are happening and these prices are skyrocketing and making sure you have a plan for next year. Cause I think next year could be interesting on, you know, these supply and prices and what folks are able to get and what they aren't able to get. Yeah. Just as an aside, you know, you talk about cover crops and I wonder how much we might see in the way of adoption and that with some of the conversations around carpet uh, carbon credits and sure. some of the mm -hmm. programs that are running. I know that those carbon credit programs don't necessarily pay for an entire cover crop program, but there's some incentive there. And, and if you're looking at some of those options anyway, it's just, you know, I'd be curious to know how many farmers are really thinking about that as an option yeah. for next year. So sure. it could be interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Sean, what do we know about soybean seed supply? I know you wanted to chat about that a little bit today. Yeah, uh, more than anything else, just to bring up the idea, okay, some of these these fields, and when I say supply, it's seed supply for next year, and thinking about, okay, the Iowa productions for us, and Indiana's got production you know, in Illinois, but, I mean, where is our supply coming from? Most companies are going to go with multiple states, regions, so then they can have good supply. The whole idea is to spread risk, right? And so, uh, but if you think about a lot of our supply might come from Iowa. Well, they've had a, a drought more or less most of the season so what's the seed size going to be like there what's the seed vigor it's going to be on the early side for our growers to know right now but again it's about a conversation of okay uh, what is available and whenever i get my order in you know can i get a little bit extra with that in other words can i get uh, not just the warm germ scores can i go ahead and find out what the cold germination scores because in these drought uh, stricken areas or anything that's a uh, stressing out seed fill that's going to have a cascading effect in a lot of cases in terms of how that seed was is going to produce the following year in other words how is it going to germinate is it going to you know we're pushing planting dates like we always do so we get out on cool wet soils in april now those seeds that have low vigor those are going to be problematic so let's know which fields those are uh, think about seed treatment decisions that are coming into play seed size i mean obviously that's going to come as soon as it comes across uh, the farm gate but i mean they're going to be different there's going to be ones that are going to be you know bb's and there's going to be ones if it comes from regions like we've talked about yield wise uh, indiana illinois even there's some really good yields so there could be some gobstopper beans out there and there could be some bb's um the size of nerds right so let's <laughs> let's talk about um what's the supply and in particular i'm curious about the vigor side of things especially if it's coming from one of those states that have had a troublesome year a lot of things for folks to think about this time of year they're, they're trying to focus on harvest but there's a lot of other things that uh, that come into play so i appreciate all the information guys and before i let you go 
I've, I've got to do this to you. Uh, I, I, I need an estimate. I mean, we know where USDA is thinking. <laughs> all right. So USDA thinks 194 on corn. They think 60 on soybeans. I need a number, Dan. I need to know what you're thinking based on what you're seeing around the state. Where, where do you think we're going to end up? You know, I think that's really, it's really tough because of how much of a mixed bag a lot of these yields are. I think there's areas that are really, really good and really oh, high. He's pinned to the wall. Um, Can you hear him? He's backing so up for Eddie. I'm going to, you know, talk for a while while I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, reports, there's still a good corn crop out there. Whether it's 194 is time will tell. But I think, you know, up in those high 180s, we're not out of the question to get there. Um, so if I had to guess a number, you know, 188, 189, up around there, whether or not we can push 190, but um, time will tell. There's still a lot of harvest left to go and still a lot of corn to get out of the fields. Sean, I gave you a little bit more time to think about it. What do we think? <laughs> oh, I've got I've got this down. It's a two-word answer, and you know what it is. It depends. <laughs> and, and, and all of that. Now, I've been since August thinking that uh, if we're to get anywhere near 58 is, I think is going to be uh, pretty phenomenal. And that's, that's still, that's tying a record, uh, last year's record. Um, again, we've had good fields that have been harvested and there's poor areas. There's still a lot of beans to get out. Um, I think we're, we're going to be lucky to get 58 and that's kind of where I've been at, you know, even since August. So um, good crop, but uh, certainly not as good as it could have been. Gentlemen, I appreciate you doing this, and uh, just kind of a heads up for folks, we are going to be doing this uh, this podcast recording uh, live in front of a studio audience come December. It'll be December 16th at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo. We'll be on the seminar stage, and we will do a podcast recording live, so bring your questions. We would love to hear from you, and uh, you know, grill grill these guys. I, I try to do it, but I think you can probably do it better than I can. So we'll, we'll pass a microphone around and let you grill these guys. It'll be good. Now, is there going to be someone there with a, a card that says applaud or boo or anything like that? Or <laughs> we have Garrison Keeler type come out, right? I will, so. I will say, you know, as a new guy, make sure you can kind of take it easy. I mean, grill Sean more so. Well, listen so. to this guy. Oh, he, he's been around long enough. Yeah. So we're good to go. Looking uh, forward to come, it. Come after him. And, and of course, when you guys are in the room, there's always applause. So we don't need signs. <laughs> <laughs> when we leave, there's the applause. They're finally done. Gentlemen, thank you so much. We look forward to doing this again soon, and we'll uh, we'll keep talking through some of these issues that are going on out there, and uh, hope everyone has a safe harvest. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extensions, Dr. Sean Castile, and Dr. Dan Quinn. Thank you for joining us for Purdue Crop Chat today, moderated by Eric Pfeiffer and a service of Purdue University Extension and Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's most listened to farm radio network.